God, thank you uh, for the opportunity to uh, gather together this morning. God, thank you for your presence here in this place. I'm even uh, especially grateful this morning for Dave and the way that he led us through just remembering that you're already here, not necessarily inviting you to be present. You already are. Remembering that you're here in this place. And so even now, once again, we are just still, still in our bodies and still in our minds and our hearts, and we know that you are God today. God, as we conclude uh, this series, would you be so gracious as to teach us a little something and grow us a little bit more uh, in and through the preaching of your word? God, may your voice be the only voice that's heard here this morning. In Jesus' name, with enthusiasm, the people of God together said, amen. Look, here's where we're going to start this morning is that an uncontained chicken can wreak havoc. An uncontained chicken can really wreak havoc. Don't you like this phrase, wreak havoc? I love that phrase. I'm so excited I got to use it this morning. But an uncontained chicken can wreak havoc. I have personal experience in seeing the havoc that an uncontained chicken can wreak because uh, Amy and I have had the opportunity to vacation to the island of Kauai a few times, uh, which is one of the Hawaiian islands. And it's so funny, when we moved to Canada and I told people that we had been to Kauai a few times, people are like, Ooh, exotic, you know? Is it so far away and all? I'm like, it's the United States. And and I don't need a passport to go there. And you land, and like 10 minutes from the airport, there's a Costco, praise Jesus. So it's not quite as exotic as you think. And then we moved here, and people are like, where are you vacationing? People are like, we're going to Cuba. And I'm like, ooh, you know. They didn't even let me in, right? The U.S. passport, they're like, you're out, right? So on the island of Kauai, it's really fantastic because... There was a time when there were a lot of chicken farmers there. And on two separate occasions, once in the 1980s and once in the 1990s, hurricanes came through and really did a ton of damage to the island itself. I mean, nature kind of takes care of itself. But one of the things that were damaged were uh, chicken coops. Chicken coops, completely demolished. And because chickens are organic little things and chicken coops are not, they are not living things, chickens are, chickens were able to run somewhere and hide somewhere and they, their lives were spared from the hurricane, but the chicken coops were demolished. So after the hurricane was gone, the chicken coops were gone, you had all these chickens everywhere on two separate occasions and they began to breed and mate and have other little chickens and so all over the island of Kauai there's just chickens just wild chickens these chickens are at the beach look at this guy's shirt you can see on his shirt he's got a chicken with a leash on it that's like a normal thing in Kauai people are like tame the chickens right and here's the thing all over the island of Kauai they have problems with cockfighting. People uh, catch these chickens and engage, have them engage in cockfighting. There's roadkill everywhere. There is, um, how do you say this in church? Um, 
you know, chickens eat food and process it and it has to go somewhere. And so that's all over the island, right? And they're on beaches and they're in parks and they're angry little buggers. They really are. They're nasty little things. I want to keep my children away from them. There's like sharks swimming in the water. I'd rather Kaya go into the water with the shark than to deal with these chickens. They are nasty little things. And if they were in a coop, they'd be fine. They'd be great. They'd be contributors. They'd be laying eggs and they'd be on my plate, praise Jesus. They'd be so, so good. But because they are uncontained and an uncontained chicken can wreak havoc, there's havoc all over the island and people are working to manage the uncontained chickens. Uh, this is what we've been talking about this whole series. Because an uncontained chicken in your life can really wreak havoc. You know, whether it's an emotion that hijacks your decision-making skills and you act out of jealousy or anger or bitterness or any number of emotions that you might experience when they become the driver of your life rather than just a passenger in the car of your life, those uncontained chickens can wreak havoc. Or the trauma that you experience as a child, sometimes very, very severe trauma, sometimes a, a, a re relatively less severe trauma, but all trauma nonetheless. And when we don't deal with those things, those chickens become uncontained and they begin to squawk and they wreak havoc in our lives. And so what we've said uh, throughout the course of the last five weeks is that mature men and women are meticulous managers of chickens. We're never going to be without squawking chickens in our life. Does everybody get that? Like we're never going to get to that point where we don't have to manage our chickens. We're never going to get to that point where all the trauma is all completely healed and nothing ever comes up in our life and no emotions ever come up and we don't ever have to address those things and work through those things and process through those things. We are never going to be at that point. And so we can't shoot the chickens. We can't shush them. We can't feed them. We can't whatever we can't manage our neighbor's chickens your spouse will always have chickens you understand that right don't nudge your spouse your spouse will always have chickens and so we have to get to a point where we're able to manage those things very very well in our life and so uh, what I want to do is take one more step today take a look at the life of Jesus in this one particular situation and so many people miss it in this story where he manages some chickens in such an extraordinary and forward-thinking and innovative way. I mean, there's some things that Jesus does in this passage. It's almost like it's, it's looking forward to what licensed professional therapy looks like 2,000 years from there. I mean, he is able to do something, even in his actions, it's, it's almost like his actions are prophetic themselves. It is, not, okay, all right, I gotta stop there. I'm, I'm already preaching the passage. So I'm so excited to get there. So here, here's what we're gonna learn today. When it comes to your emotions, it's just a really simple three-step process that we're gonna learn from Jesus today. If you're jotting down notes, jot this down. First, feel, submit second, then act. This is a really simple three-step process for emotions, and it's going to get a little more complicated. It's going to get a little more sophisticated. Some of you are looking up here and going, oh, that's so simple. Yes, it's simple, but listen to me, it ain't easy. Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's 
easy. And so if you're jotting down notes, jot it down. When it comes to those emotions in our life, when those chickens begin to squawk, we feel first, submit to God's authority second, and then act. So let's watch Jesus do it. There's a moment where Jesus travels to the temple during Passover, and John tells us that the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. Now, we talked about this just briefly last week, but Jesus comes in, and there's this moment where he sees the rich people taking advantage of the poor. He sees people overcharging for sacrifices. He sees people excising really ridiculous taxes on money changing. Again, the rich are taking advantage of the poor. And if you know Jesus' life at all, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you know that Jesus was an advocate for the poor. He's not interested in watching the rich take advantage. He's not interested in watching the very religious, kind of highfalutin, ivory tower folks uh, take advantage of the tax collectors and sinners. He's not interested in that at all. In fact, this makes him very, very angry. It also grieves his heart to see these poor people taken advantage of in the temple where they have come to worship. So in other words, what we see here in the heart of Jesus is that a chicken begins to squawk. Now, let's be very, very clear. The chicken that begins to squawk in the heart of Jesus is not a sin. Are you with me? Because Jesus is perfect without sin. That's, that's something we learn from the scripture that's critical to our theology is that he's without sin. But Jesus does feel emotions. Did you know that? If he feels emotions. And he just doesn't, he, he's not just walking around like happy all the time, eating unicorns and butterflies. There weren't unicorns in ancient Rome back then, but you know, he, he might have imagined them, right? He's not walking around happy all the time. There are moments in the life of Jesus where he feels very, very deeply what you and I might call negative emotions. We might even categorize those emotions as sinful emotions sometimes. Certainly would categorize them as negative. And this is one of the moments in the life of Jesus where those chickens begin to squawk. I want to prove it to you from another passage that Jesus feels these kind of negative emotions. There's a moment where Jesus is about to heal somebody and the Pharisees uh, actually come to him and they want to put him in a corner because he's about to heal this man on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees say to him, look, uh, you're not allowed to heal on the Sabbath because we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So what are you going to do? Heal this man or obey the Sabbath? Heal this man or obey the Sabbath? They're trying to catch him in a pickle. They're trying to catch him in a bind. And Jesus looked around at them with anger. <gasps> Grieved at their hardness of heart. Two, what we would categorize as negative emotions happening in the heart of Jesus almost immediately. There is anger towards these Pharisees. He's like, you're trying to put me in a pickle and not allow me to heal somebody because of your silly little laws? He looks at them with anger. I don't know, we, we, just, we just don't picture Jesus this way, do we? We picture him as kind of walking around. No, 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 he didn't walk, he hovered, right? He hovered, and then he was, he was always, yes, bless you, yes, bless you. And he was always happy at all times. And in this moment, he's like, I'm ticked. 
and rightfully so. And not just that, but he was grieved. This word in the original language means that he's feeling it down here. I mean, he is deeply affected. So, listen, here's what this means. If Jesus can feel negative emotions and not sin, what does that mean about you? That you can feel negative emotions and not sin. Is that a reasonable conclusion? I think it's reasonable. Paul would go so far as in Ephesians 4 and say, be angry and do not sin. Look at the commandment here. Everybody's like, you know, uh, well, there's the commands of Scripture. You know, don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, worship the Lord your God. This is one of my favorites. Get mad. Paul is, he's not just saying it's okay to be angry. He's actually commanding us to be angry. He says there are times when anger is justifiable. In the case of abuse, in the case of the poor being taken advantage of, there are situations in which anger is righteous even. And it's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel grief. It's okay to feel these negative emotions. But when you do, do not sin. See, that's the, that's the critical piece here. That's the critical piece. Do not sin. So the first thing that we learn from Jesus here, the first thing that we learn uh, as Jesus feels these negative emotions in the temple and in his own life, the first thing that we learn from scripture is that in that three-step process, you must feel first. And here's the reality. You cannot simultaneously address and suppress emotions. You can't do it at the same time. And so many of us, I think, are afraid to feel negative emotions because we think there's sin or because we don't like to feel that way or because we think if I feel negative emotions, I'm not in control of my emotions. You can be a meticulous manager of chickens and still feel negative emotions. In fact, if you're not feeling negative emotions, you're not a meticulous manager of chickens. Because what you're doing is you're just suppressing those things. You're suppressing grief. You're suppressing anger. You're suppressing whatever it is that you might sense as a negative emotion. And you cannot feel it and ignore it at the same time. You cannot simultaneously address it and suppress it. It doesn't work. You have to choose one or the other. That's why the first step that we learn from Jesus here is to feel those emotions. Remember our feelings wheel? Look up here on the screen. Remember our feelings wheel? There's all these emotions up here. Some of them might be construed as positive or typically are. We're trusting or thoughtful, um, excited, cheerful, creative, important. Yeah, I'm feeling all those things. But some of these are considered negative emotions. Sad, mad, scared, hurt, depressed, confused, rejected. These are all emotions that Jesus felt. And yet, he did not allow those emotions to hijack his life and sin as a result of them. But the first step is to feel whatever emotions are coming into your heart and life. In other words, emotions are not sins to avoid, but just chickens to manage. There's chickens to manage. And for some of you, you need to be set free this morning from thinking that you've got to suppress negative emotions. Because you come from either a culture 
or a family of origin or you're involved in a marriage currently or you've been involved in a marriage in the past where that culture or that family of origin or that marriage or that relationship has told you, whether verbally or through action, that there is a negative emotion that you're negative emotion that you're experiencing that is a sin. I mean, for us, even uh, one of the things that we work on with Kaya all the time, because Kaya uh, experiences anger on a regular basis, especially towards her mother. She loves me, but she, um, or, or she gets reactionary, and, and we wrap her up and we say, hey, babe, for you to be upset that that other kid took that toy from you or took that toy from another kid is okay. It's okay for you to be angry at those things, but what you can't do is let those emotions hijack your decision-making skills. We've talked about this before, that emotions are really horrible drivers. They're great passengers. You can't turn the wheel over to them. You have to learn how to manage them, and you have to manage them internally first. You've got to feel them first because the way you deal with turmoil around you depends on how you deal with turmoil within you. I've heard this said before a number of times and I really love it is if you want to see what's in a full cup, a cup that's full to the very brim, you know, you know how you see what's in there? You just bump it a little bit and something's going to spill out. And when it comes to you and I, a Christian or non-Christian, no matter what it is, when turmoil, difficulty, challenge comes up in our life, that's that little bump and something spills out. And so it's, it's, it's defensiveness, it's anger, it's insecurity, it's whatever. And the way that you deal with turmoil around you depends on how you've dealt with turmoil within you. Jesus is showing us in this moment and throughout his entire life. And Paul is giving us permission to say, the first thing I got to do when these negative emotions kick up is to feel them completely and not stop until I felt them completely. But then once I've felt them, the next step is to please contain your chickens. Please contain your chickens. You know, this is, this is funny uh, because this is actually a very sophisticated kind of next level type of emotional intelligence concept here. I know I'm saying it kind of in a funny way. I'm saying to contain your chickens. But in therapy, which I've done uh, <laughs> a lot of, but clearly not nearly enough, um, they talk about emotional containment. It's, it's a concept that, that you learn kind of down the road a little bit. It's, it's, it's chicken management. It's containing my chickens. It's saying, okay, I have felt these negative emotions completely, but what I'm going to do now is not allow them to take hold of my life and be the driver. I'm going to contain them, feel them, contain them, and then act. That's the feel first, submit second part. So I want you to watch Jesus practice emotional containment here and contain his chickens. Watch this. It says that he made a whip of cords and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. 
And he poured out the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Look at Jesus' actions here. He drove them all out of the temple. He poured out the coins. He overturned their tables. He told those who sold the pigeons. These are aggressive, very assertive. He's not walking around, bless you, bless you. He's turning tables over, right? But so many of us miss this one little piece here is that Jesus made a whip of cords. He made a whip of cords. This is so unbelievably spectacular to me. The first thing is I picture Jesus as Indiana Jones, which I think is kind of cool, right? He's got a whip and he's got the hat and he's an archaeologist and whoosh, right? Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing is what Jesus does here actually takes him quite a while. In my mind, every time I've read this story before, is that Jesus gets angry, he goes over, uses his divine like whip, 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 and he's got a whip and he comes back and he's like, whoosh, right? So I started to do a little research. Did you like my whip sound? That was nice. So I started to do a little research and I'm wondering, I wonder how long it took him to make the whip. So, I went on to Nick's Whip Shop. Uh, this is Nick's, Nick's Whip Shop. If you're in the market for a whip, call Nick. He seems very prolific, very, very good. And, and, and he, this guy actually makes whips for a living, which that seems like a little bit of a niche market, doesn't it, to you? He makes whips for a living. How many Indiana Jones people are out there? So if you're in the market for a whip, call Nick. Seems like a great guy. And Nick says this on his website. Watch this. He says, I can make a six-foot, 12-plate nylon bull whip. I have no idea what all this means. All I know is this is the simplest whip he makes. Simplest whip. It takes me about six to eight hours is what he said. Oh. Whereas a 12-foot kangaroo hide whip can take as long as 30-plus hours to make. So do you imagine that Jesus would use his divine ability, his miracle-working ability, to get a whip done faster? Where else in Jesus' life does he use his divine power to expedite something that's like, you know what, usually it takes 20 minutes to bake cookies, but I'm Jesus, so they're just in and they're out. You know, like that's, that's not how Jesus worked. Anytime he's using his divine ability, it's for the sake of somebody else. So the blind can see, so the lame could walk, so he could teach a spiritual truth, so people could eat whatever. So he's not gonna go make this whip and it's gonna take him six seconds because I'm Jesus, dang it. He would always say, dang it. He'd say, Jesus, dang it. And, and, and I, I wanna be able to have this quickly. It's going to take him a little while. Now watch what we can learn from Jesus here is so extraordinary. He walks into the temple. He is angry and grieved and disappointed. He has compassion for the poor or whatever. And instead of, instead of going crazy and, and making a whip real quick and driving everybody out and all that stuff and allowing his emotions to be the driver, the very first thing he does is step away. Step away. The first step of chicken containment. He steps away. How many times in your life have you been in an argument with your spouse and they have said something that you didn't like very much 
and a chicken began to squawk. And you look back and you say, I wish I would have stepped away. I just, I literally just saw a couple of married couples, literally spouses look at each other go, you can learn from Jesus. If you're going to fight now, please go on the foyer, right? Step away. Mm. I know it seems like such a simple concept, but once again, just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. I am so glad that the God of the universe demonstrates to us how to manage a chicken just by going, you know what, I'm just going to step away from this situation just for a moment. Maybe it takes him up to six to eight hours to make the whip. Maybe he wants to make one out of kangaroo hide like Nick does. Maybe it takes him 30 hours. We don't know. We don't know. What we do know is that it took him longer than about three seconds and to come back in and address the situation. He steps away. Men and women of God, when that chicken begins to squawk, the chicken of insecurity, the chicken of guilt, the chicken of shame, the chicken of anger, the chicken of grief, would you please just go, you know what? I'm going to be like Jesus, and I'm just going to step away from the situation, catch my breath. How many times have you heard that? When you're angry, what do you do? Count to 10, right? Gives me plenty of time to get my fists ready, right? Count to 10 to throw biscuits. No, like that's not. It's so that those emotions don't become the driver of your actions. Be angry, but in your anger, do not sin. Very cool, right? Very cool. Here's the second thing Jesus does. He does something. Step two is do something. When you step away from the situation, don't do this. I'm angry, I step away, and I'm gonna go over here and just be angry. Right? Do something. He actually puts his hands to work. Do you see that? He, 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 he starts to put material together and put his hands to work. Now, I was in a therapy room with Amy, I don't know, several years ago, and there was a moment where some chickens began to squawk for Amy. And um, our therapist, again, who is just brilliant, um, went to the other room and got this little ball. It's about this big, and it's spiky, not like cactus spiky, like it's going to hurt you, but it's not soft, and it's got like little pricklies on it, right? And she hands it to Amy, and she goes, do you start to touch this and grab it? And I'm like, what are we, what are we going to do here, right? We're going to play catch? Like, I don't, I don't understand what's happening with this ball. She goes, you know what's interesting is that sometimes when your chickens begin to squawk, what happens is that your parasympathetic nerve system begin, nervous system begins to engage. It's the vagus nerve thing we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And instead of being present in the moment, you begin to re-experience all those negative emotions from the past. You know what's, this is the other funny thing. I'm watching people nod right now because you've been in therapy rooms where somebody has handed you something to hold and touch. 
Hold it, touch it, be here, be totally present in this moment. So instead of walking away and just being mad, Jesus walks away and he does something. He puts his hands to work. And I'm going in this therapy room, I'm going, how in the world is this working? All of a sudden it helps for Amy to be present in the space, to be present in the room, to be totally aware, to dial in to right now rather than reliving some of those old squawking chickens. And I was like, that was brilliant. I'm so glad that you did that for her. And the next day, we were in therapy again. And guess whose chickens started to squawk? And guess who needed something to do then? Me, right? And I'm like, man, would this hurt her if I threw it at her? I, uh, you know. No, it helps me to be present in the moment. It's, it's, it sounds like a trick, like a mind trick. It's not. It removes you from the situation just for a moment so you can put yourself to work. So, watch this. This is how it works out practically. In a fight with your spouse and things get escalated and emotions take over, step away for a moment and do something. Whatever it is that your hand findeth to do. Unless it's make a whip. Don't make a whip. Um, Make cookies. Uh, go work on the car that you've been rebuilding for the last couple years. Go, go make jewelry. Go play around a golf. Go do something and put your hands to work for a little while because it removes you from those emotions for a minute so you can say, I have felt them, but I'm not gonna allow them to overwhelm me and guide me. I'm going to submit them to God's authority. First thing is I'm gonna step away. Second, I'm gonna do something while I step away and not just sit here in my chickens. <laughs> and finally, and this, this is not in the passage, but it's just free. This is, this is something that the Bible does uh, command and I'll show it to you. And something that's really helpful for me in particular is you, you gotta tell somebody about your chicken. Pick up the phone. Tell somebody that you trust that you're going through an issue. Express it. Tell someone. This is why the Bible says in James, confess your sins to one another. Okay? Not just your sins, but also your chickens. That's why the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, when it talks about um, the, the early church, when they gathered together, that they gathered together every day with glad and generous hearts. This word also means unfolded hearts. That's the direct translation. It means open hearts, sincere hearts. When they gathered together, they, they rendered themselves vulnerable to one another and shared with one another what it is that they were going through. And that developed health in their community and health within them that rendering of themselves vulnerable to one another in other words they told in other words they told somebody about their chickens i, I don't know about you but sometimes in our marriage and 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 for for those of you who are who are, who are married you will probably understand this but um, in our marriage needs are 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 felt internally but they're not always expressed out loud. You ever, you ever realize that in your marriage? They're not always told to the other person. I remember, I think I've told you the story before, but very early in our marriage, uh, Amy and I used to do the exact same thing every night. We would make dinner, uh, especially throughout the summer. We would make dinner. We had no kids at the time. We had a dog, and so we had a lot of freedom. We'd make dinner, and we'd turn on the Arizona Diamondbacks. 
we would turn on baseball and watch baseball almost every night, especially through the summer. Well, one particular night uh, I came home and as we're making dinner, uh, Amy walks over to our coffee table and we had this very cool coffee table and it sat in front of the couch and it looked really nice. But you could pick up the lid and it was on hinges and you could raise it up like this and move it towards you. So that meant you could have your dinner on the couch. It was lovely. We didn't even need a dining room table. It was awesome. And inside the coffee table, there were a lot of DVDs, right? Young people. A DVD was this thing that, that you used to, okay, it's before Netflix, right? So there were a lot of DVDs. And I remember that particular night, we made dinner. I turned on the Diamondbacks game. We're doing exactly what we would do every night. And Amy, during the very first inning, really early in the game, walks over, takes a DVD out of the DVD storage, and just sets it on the coffee table. That's all. Like, okay, neat. So we watched the second inning, and the third, and the fourth, and the sixth, and the seventh, and the eighth, and they brought the closer in in the ninth inning, and we're done with dinner, and plates are washed up, and I'm like, oh, all right, bedtime. You know, you ready to go to bed, babe? And I looked at her, and she goes, I kid you not, she goes, I just wanted to watch a DVD. I'm like, well, then use your words. Like, tell me. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, women especially, I think, and I just, some of you are going to go, I'm never coming back here. Um, <laughs> but I find that this is the case, that you have this secret voice in your head that tells you, if my spouse somehow guesses what I need without me telling him, he gets more points for it. That's not true. You get the same amount of points. Same amount. If, if you say, I need for you to cook dinner and your spouse cooks dinner, they get points. If you just hope that they guess what you need, right? Hope that they guess what chicken is squawking in your life and then they guess it, they don't get extra points for that. When you express your need and they do it, when you, in other words, tell someone what you need and they meet your need, that counts, please, women of God. I have a really good friend, uh, male in this case. We were talking to uh, this couple. I've known them since they were very, very young. I officiated their wedding, baptized both of them great people. I asked her one time, what is your love language? She's like, I don't know, maybe words of affirmation, Quality time, I'm not sure what that is. I asked him, I said, well, what is your love language? He says, you know, like when we're in bed and she's snuggling me and I really want her to stop and go over to her side of the bed so I can go to sleep. And if she guesses that without me having to tell her, that's really my love language. <laughs> like, you're a horrible person. Like, oh, like, absolutely. This is not just women, this is men too. I think we have this thing, like if somebody else guesses it, like just say, I have a need. I have a need for somebody to hug me right now. I have a need for somebody to listen, not give advice. I have a need. I've got a chicken that's squawking. I, I have a little bit of insecurity in my life. Would you just look at me and tell me I'm pretty or handsome or whatever? I have a need in my life to just step away for a moment and let my chickens relax a little bit. I have a need. Tell somebody about your chicken. It works. So here's the deal. What we're learning from Jesus about chicken management is simply this, to feel first, 
submit to God's second and then act. The first thing I do is I'm aware that I have emotions. Some of them could be, uh, you know, labeled as negative. They're not. They're just exhaust system for your, the exhaust system for your soul. They're morally neutral. But you feel those emotions first. And once you've felt them, then submit them to God. And what that means sometimes is that you've got to step away from the heat of the moment. What that means is you've got to put your hands to work and so that you've removed yourself from those squawking chickens. What that means is you need to tell somebody and work it through. And then finally, you make the choice to act according to God's principles and laws rather than to what your emotions are telling you. You make the choice to act, listen closely, according to God's laws and principles, according to what God has commanded you to do. Sometimes that stepping away takes five seconds. Sometimes it can take five months. But then you make the choice to act according to God's principles rather than what your emotions are telling you to do. And I know that this right here, this three-step process, will help you in almost every area of your life, in your marriage, in your professional life, in your relational life. And I know that there are a thousand times in your personal life, because there have been a thousand times in mine, where I have regretted not following this three-step process. Can I, can I ask you one really simple question that kind of will reveal, I think, that you don't always follow this process? You ready? You ever hit send too early? <laughs> that was funny because the first thing I heard was laughter and it turned really quickly into, oh. <laughs> yeah, we get these emails, right? And like, <laughs> sincerely, right? <laughs> or like me, you know, I do that and like, blessings. <laughs> I wish I would. I wish I would. In response to those things, I wish I would. Uh, when I'm talking to Amy, I wish I would. When I'm talking to my friends, I wish I would. When I'm interacting with board members and our whole elders board, yeah, sometimes we got chickens squawking in that room too. I wish I would when I'm interacting with congregants. I wish I would when I'm interacting on the soccer field. I really wish I would then. I really wish I would. Feel first. Submit them second. And then act. One more quick thing that I want to do, and I think that it's absolutely critical to do it, especially as we conclude this series. What we've been talking about over the course of the last four weeks is really whole person health. If you remember, we talked about relational health first week. We talked about boundaries, and we talked about a purposeful farm is a productive farm, and we talked about circles of intimacy. I hope you remember that stuff. Uh, week two, we talked about emotional wellness, like we talked about today, and kind of developing emotional intelligence and skill set. Last week, we talked about physical wellness, which is a part of what God has commanded us to do to take care of this temple that he's given us. And as we've talked about whole person wellness, I've begin to, begun to think again about this verse from Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus, uh, where Jesus extends to us an invitation to follow him. He, he says, uh, he told us, told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Look at the three-step process that Jesus is, uh, is, is prescribing here. 
deny yourself, uh, walk away from my needs, my wants, my desires, my vision for the world, take up my cross and die to those things, and now follow Jesus. And I think so often, this is the thing that, that really has struck me when it comes to this verse in light of this series. So often I think that pastors and Christians, we use this verse sometimes to say, take up your cross, deny yourself. And it becomes like almost this threatening kind of aggressive thing. And yes, it's a call to sacrifice. Yes, it's a call to true discipleship. Yes, it is a call to all those things. But watch, watch this now, watch this. This is the invitation For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is an invitation to life, abundant life, true life, full life, complete life, new life. And for some folks in the room, maybe you're brand new to this Jesus thing. For some folks in the room, maybe you're starting to grow and learn a little bit about this Jesus thing. May I remind you that the nature of the good news about Jesus is not so that Jesus, or it's not that Jesus would come and die on a cross so that your sins could be forgiven so you don't go to hell when you die. That's not the nature of the gospel, at least that's not all of it. The nature of the gospel is this, that Jesus came to establish a new kingdom. He came to restore what was broken. He came to heal and redeem and renew, and he came to do that for all of who you are. Your spiritual life, your emotional life, your sex life, your relational life, your financial life, everything about you personally and everything about our community and our city and our world, he extends the offer of a new kingdom within you and around you. He extends to you the offer of life. Not just so you could be an angel playing on a cloud one day, but so that all of who you are could be restored and renewed. That's what we've been talking about over the course of this series. And the response uh, to that invitation is to say, yes, Jesus, then I'm going to walk away from my vision, my needs, my desires, and my idea of right and wrong, admit that I had it wrong, and then I'm going to follow you and come after you and receive from you the life that you give and experience life eternally and life abundantly because I'm walking in the Jesus way. That's the invitation of the gospel. If you've never responded to Jesus in that way, uh, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right here, right now. Would you pray with me? Here's the good news about Jesus, is that he loves you extravagantly and unconditionally. He gave his very life for you. He knows how many hairs are on your head or how many hairs are not there. He knows how many times that you have inhaled and exhaled. And check this out. In light of our series, he knows your squawking chickens. He knows about that anger, about that grief, that betrayal. He knows about that shame. He knows about that disappointment. He knows about that fear. He knows about that failure. Every 
nook and cranny, every one of the most intimate places of your heart, even the places within you that you can't even yet identify, those places that are broken, Jesus knows. And knowing all of that, knowing the entire scope of your sin and your brokenness and your shame and all that you would endure in this life, Jesus knew all of those things and still, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He went to the cross for you so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be whole, so that you could be healed not just so your disembodied consciousness goes to the good place and not the bad place, so that all of who you are experiences redemption. This is the invitation of the gospel that we would come to Jesus and we would say, okay, I accept that your way is life. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your invitation of healing and I want to start that journey today and follow you moment by moment, day by day. I don't need to lead you through a prayer. There's nothing to repeat. There's no class to take. There's no box to tick. It's just a matter of you going before God in your own heart because he's God. He can hear your thoughts and telling him where you're at and telling him that you want to follow him. That's between you and God. However, if that is you, I would love to speak with you after the service. I'll be right down here in the front. I would love it if you would stop by our Next Step Center and speak to somebody there. I would love it if you would come down and speak to one of the other pastors. I would love it if you would tell the friend that brought you. (coughs) And for the very first time, (coughs) you responded to the invitation of the gospel. God, for the rest of us, our prayer today is that you would grow us in spiritual maturity, in emotional maturity, in favor with God and man, just as you grew Jesus. God, help us to chase our chickens, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. Help us to name them and to identify them. But God, help us to be mature enough men and women that we're able to contain them and not allow them to hijack our decision-making, that we submit our actions to you so that they are righteous and good and life-bringing for ourselves and for the world around us. We pray these things in Christ's name and the people of God together said.